Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 130. Today we're talking about 100 Bible films with Matthew Page. Matthew Page is the author of 100 Bible Films, published by the British Film Institute with Bloomsbury Press. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Brandon Hurlbert and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So Brandon, this is a lovely way to kick off this series that we are doing on Jesus films, uh, thinking about where Jesus films fit more broadly within the world of Bible films and some of the various tropes and cinematic motifs that we see in these films, uh, how they teach us a little bit about cinema more broadly uh, and, and what filmmakers are doing when they adapt Bible stories. What were some of the takeaways that you took from our conversation? Uh, what I appreciated about our conversation with Matt was to understand the diversity uh, of Bible and film is that it's not all simply Jesus films. Uh, there's a lot of diversity of content and um, time periods. You know, we talked about kind of the history of cinema um, and even, you know, country of origin uh, in his book, we didn't get a chance to talk about, but in his book, he mentions, you know, several films uh, that were uh, made uh, in Africa uh, or in Asia or in South America um, that really contributes to this wider conversation of Bible and film. And as always, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, here's our conversation with Matthew Page. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Been really looking forward to, to doing this and uh, speaking to you both. Yeah, well, we're really excited to kick off this series on Jesus films. And with this opening conversation, we're really excited to talk about your volume, 100 Bible Films. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this volume? What exactly uh, are you trying to do? It's a bit uh, encyclopedic, but what's your sort of goal that you've uh, set out? Why did you decide to put it together? Well, uh, I've, I've kind of started um, a blog back in about 2006 on Bible films and grew and grew. And one day I went to the, the, the British Film Institute of a big cinema in London and they've got a massive kind of film bookshop there. And uh, I just went in and I had this kind of series of different books, 100 you know, Westerns, 100 film noirs, uh, 100 silent films. And I just thought, you know, I could do one of those 100 Bible films and it would be perhaps a good way of re, you know, using some of the material I'd done already and a way of working towards a, a book project, which I'd, I'd you know, tried a couple of times already. Um, and that was about, that was about 12 years ago. <laughs> uh, so it's taken me kind of a while, a while to get there, but I've, I've kind of really, yeah, I've, I, I really enjoy that kind of that diversity of different takes on the Bible that's out there. And I think that was became, I suppose, increasingly important to me as, as I was kind of bringing the book together. So eventually I, I pitched it to the, to the BFI and, um, and they, they went for it, which was, uh, which was a very pleasant surprise. And so, so yeah, so I've tried to kind of cover a lot of, um, you know, some of the ground that's covered by uh, some of the other books on the Bible on film or about Jesus on film. But I was also kind of interested about, I guess, particularly mindful of the fact that I was writing for for the BFI and a kind of film audience, particularly mindful of perhaps turning that classic question on the head. I think a lot of people approach the subject with the idea of 
looking at what film can kind of teach us about the Bible, which um, I do find that very, very interesting. Um, but I also kind of wanted to look at it, look at it the other way and look at the issue of, you know, what can um, Bible films teach us about film and about cinema? And um, yeah, and I, I guess that, as I say, became increasingly important as, as things went on and, and realising what, a, I suppose, a unique position they're in because, because of their kind of um, universal you know, not quite universal, but, you know, they're, they're, they've just got such a kind of, they've been a kind of, kind of consistent feature over 125 years of cinema history, but also from in terms of around the world, um, taking this thing beyond the kind of limits of, you know, Europe and America, reaching into kind of cultures that a lot of film books and, uh, and monographs don't really go into. Um, still, we're still very kind of slanted towards uh, American cinema. And, and I found myself in the process of, researching this book and some of the films chasing down just just coming into contact with all kinds of uh, cinema movements and, and cinema kind of traditions and you know national cinemas that, that I just wouldn't have done otherwise and it was um it was both kind of uh, interesting and also kind of slightly unnerving uh uncovering films that you know no one else that I knew had kind of talked about that were from well outside of what was familiar to me yeah that that sounds fascinating I, I wonder if I, maybe some of our listeners, when they think of film, they only think of the blockbuster. They only think mm. of, you know, the film that they've seen in theaters, um, the films that most normal people have seen. Um, yeah. And uh, here on our podcast, we're not typically no the normal people. Uh, we watch <laughs> lots of films that others uh, wouldn't have. Uh, maybe if you could just give us a, a brief, you know, simplified version of kind of the history of cinema, uh, if, if you can do that in, in briefly, and how those movements and changes within film and cinema are mirrored uh, with the creation of Bible films. Yeah, I mean, and often partly, you know, often it was the Bible films that were kind of acting as a as a kind of catalyst in some of those in some of those cases. I mean, not not solely, but so I mean, things kind of started late 1880s, uh, early 1890s. I, I kind of start the book talking about, about a guy called Louis Prince uh, who made a kind of key step forward in terms of you know, moving camera images um, because he, he uh, one of his, the most kind of, his most famous early film, the Roundhay Garden scene was shot down the road from where my, where my parents live. Um, so I had a kind of particular warmth to them, but he's, he kind of disappeared for a bit by the eight, kind of 1895, you kind of start to get something that we would say, yeah, that's definitely recognisably cinema. You've got people gathering together in the, you know, in the dark, staring up at the light um, and, and and together watching these films and, and people have already kind of made the kind of comparison between those that environment and the environment of church, I guess. But within a couple of years, we're already seeing Bible films starting to be made, uh, particularly people filming passion plays. So there was a kind of much bigger tradition of passion plays in the uh, in the 19th century and, and people kind of capturing those and, and already people trying to kind of pass pass them off with some level of being exotic. And, uh, and gradually, films got longer in that first kind of 10, 15 years. We see the first kind of features happening around you know, 1910, 1912, somewhere around around that kind of time. But that period there was a really very prosperous time for biblical films. Um, there were probably more Bible films shot between about 1908 and 1913 than at any, any other point uh, since. There's about 90 films shot in just that just that kind of five, six-year period. So um, 
So I find that a really interesting period. So that's why I've taken so long on that bit. And then we start to see the kind of bigger scale of films. So films are really taking off by then. They start to become a big business. The kind of creation of Hollywood is just a few years away. And we start to get these kind of epic films. And there's this kind of thread of films and using very early films, using special effects as a kind of way of creating spectacle and a bit of a wow factor. And about 10, 15 years later, we've then got you know, the size of the sets being used in these films and the kind of destruction of them all being a bit of a wow factor. And that kind of continues through to kind of the end of the silent era about another 15, 12, you know, 15 years later in the kind of late 20s. In America, shortly after the end of the silent era, you get the kind of Hage production code and quite restrictive regime coming in in terms of what could and couldn't be shown, but that wasn't necessarily reflected around the world. And then not long after that, obviously, you have World War II, which was had a major impact on the film industry but then a few years after that then DeMille comes along with uh, Samson Delilah uh, the one with uh, Victor Mature and, um, and Hedy Lamar, and that kind of really was such a smash it really put the kind of biblical epic on the map then and that's when we get this kind of period of about 15 plus years uh, of biblical epics being serious box office perhaps the closest parallel we've got to the kind of superhero movement in our in our own time. So if you look at the kind of biggest grossing hits for between 1949 and 1960, I think four or five of the top, you know, top films for each year, biggest grossing film for each year was some form of kind of biblical epic. But that kind of that cycle drew to a bit of a close. In the 70s, we start to get some slightly more alternative and more radical takes on things. We get Jesus Christ Superstar, which was uh, quite um, controversial in its day. Uh, another of these, another, another other films. At the end of the 70s, we get Life of Brian, uh, and into the 80s, uh, Last Temptation of Christ. And and people kind of almost feel that the genre was exhausted then. And then there was a fresh impetus at the start of the new millennium. Uh, and then after that had gone, then we get The Passion of the Christ comes along, and people realise, uh, particularly you know, filmmakers or film producers realise there's a whole new audience here we've not really thought about. And the kind of the start of faith-based films had always been a thing, but there starts to become a whole new momentum behind that. And people from churches making Bible films, studios making Bible films. Uh, you've also got technology, obviously, is just completely blossoming at this stage. And video camera technology is much more available than it had been at any other stage. And so you get all these kind of more, it becomes much more democratic, I suppose. It's much easier to film a film about the Bible. And so, so yeah, and that kind of more or less brings us up to where we are now. I feel I've, I've skipped over TV a little bit, which uh, <laughs> kind of in the 60s, 50s, 60s, we start to get television films as well, which were bigger perhaps in some other countries. But Well, that was, that was impressive. That was the entire history of cinema, according to Bible films. Um, that's very impressive. Um, you mentioned just at the very beginning that between, I think you said the years 1908 to 19... 13 is that you said yeah yeah that, that, that was 95 bible films were yeah uh, 90, films. yeah yeah <clears throat> could you tell us what were those like were they very long films were they short films were they good films were they hit or um, miss? They, they tended to be quite short so we're talking kind of like 10 to 20 minutes um one reelers uh, as people would say because you they would fit on one reel of film um although some were a little bit longer um i think it's in terms of like were they good i think it, it, it depends how you phrase that i think if you've never watched any kind of 
silent film before and, and lot, you know, a lot of people now haven't seen the film, have barely seen a film not in, made in this century. That, you know, it's a totally mm. different aesthetic, totally different way of doing things. And they were, you know, some of them were a lot more kind of amateur, obviously, than they were today. Although some of them, you know, they were still quite professional in many ways. So this, you know, they seem quite kind of, I suppose they seem quite rudimentary to what we're used to. But some of them are still definitely, you know, well worth seeing, well worth popping out. One of the films I talk about in the book is um, Jail and Sisera from 1911, which is a story that remarkably hasn't really been covered since then, which has always been kind of one of my favourite, the kind of Deborah uh, story from Judges has always been one of my favourite bits of the story. And that's, you know, surprisingly kind of graphic for, for, the, for the time. And you kind of get a few nods to some of the other paintings. And, you know, that's one I, one I particularly like. There's a, a kind of a, a Moses film called, in French, L'Exode, The Exodus, that has really kind of packs a punch in terms of the effect of the, the kind of 10th plague on the ordinary Egyptians who were, you know, already, you know, were probably also oppressed living under this kind of pharaonic regime and and it kind of shows part of the story from from their point of view um in a way that is you know i remember being really impacted by that the first time i saw it so they're shorter um they they do you know they're very kind of in quality between them there were kind of about three or four guys that were particularly doing kind of sequences of these they were kind of like trying to do you know doing a kind of 10 to 10 to 20 minute take for all the kind of story you know all the stories they came you know a whole range of stories but yeah but i think they i think i've you know i find them endlessly fascinating i think they're they're not just interesting as films that they're also really interesting at kind of these were you know as a kind of expression of um faith a hundred years ago a hundred yeah 110 years ago now and um yeah and just to kind of like see how much those things have changed or you know I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I think it's, there's a kind of connection there in watching them. I think that I find really interesting. I asked the question about, you know, were they good? And I think yeah. for a lot of people, when they watch Bible films, when they think about Bible films, good equals historically accurate. Um, yeah. And and I know that you you write about in your book about these Bible films are all adaptations. And I wonder if you could say a bit more about, you know, in your opinion, what makes for a good adaptation and that and how you articulate that how that's different than being you know quote unquote historically accurate yeah i mean i think the um i, th- I think the the thing with the historically accurate question is that historical accuracy means different things to different people uh and you know i i totally understand why it's often a concern people have um particularly people of, uh, of faith that want to you know, explore that faith and those stories are very important to them. I think when I started off, that was, I guess, was kind of what I was trying to do. I was trying to find a, a Jesus film that really matched with my the image I have in my own head of, you know, of who Jesus was and that kind of did a better job than perhaps some of the films I grew up with, which I thought did a really bad job of, of that, uh, particularly when I was younger. But I think I began to realise that that wasn't a very useful approach um, because essentially you're just trying to kind of like reinforce your own beliefs or, you know, find something that just kind of supports what you believe, which is, I guess, is a good way to remain static in, in your kind of knowledge and understanding. And what I began to realise with some of these films is that actually a much more interesting dynamic and much more there's much more potential in biblical films to make you see things from a different perspective and a perspective that isn't yours and a perspective you might not have access to otherwise uh, and to make you think about things in a different way. And um, because, you know, you essentially you have to watch 
a, a film through you know someone else's eyes through the filmmaker's eyes and and see how they approach it and i you know i found you know and on some levels that sometimes that can just be hey i've read that story 20 times and i've never noticed that that little bit and and in other places it can be you know other things that just kind of challenge you is to think about why you interpret something a certain way or to make you think about you know even if you perhaps don't agree with what you know often you might not agree necessarily agree with what the filmmaker is doing but it can nevertheless bring an element of the story or of the character uh, alive in a way that the film that plays it a bit more down the line and and i think it's and there's also you know and there's also the kind of difference in terms of genre of what what the bible is and what those stories are kind of designed for and and what a film is and the kind of different elements that are important to filmmakers and and the people that produce them uh, as well so historical accuracy is is what it is and you know i don't think many people necessarily expect to be a word for word or a kind of shot for shot recreation of how things would have been if we kind of went back Mighty McFly style with a, with a camera and recorded them. But I think in terms of how they can enable you to think and think more deeply about some of the some of the issues and some of the stories and some of the characters, I think actually those ones that almost almost challenge you um, almost have more, more to, to offer. So I sometimes I do a comparison with two, I show two word for word passages where they, they basically use the, the words Jesus said as a, as a kind of screenplay even if just for that passage and put them next to each other and uh, with groups sometimes it is and ask them to kind of, you know, watch them both and say which ones they preferred, and which ones worked more closely with them. And one of the things that's really interesting about that is partly that um, there's just quite from wide disagreement, you know, it's, it's, there's never like everyone all piled in on one. Some people like one, some people like the other. And then it's the question, well, why, you know, why, you know, these two filmmakers have started with exactly what we have. Um, they've added in some extra stuff, which we all have to add in ourselves when we read it, because we don't have access to that other material. We don't know what Jesus looked like. We don't know how he pronounced the words he said uh, in most cases. And so I guess kind of asking the question, well, why have you kind of seen that one? Why has that one done that? And how has this person looked at that and, and found it more, more captures what they're on about? And what does it say about people, you know, the people that you, you know, that you know, oftentimes, you know, I've done this with groups in you know, whether in, in the same church or in the same small group even, and how, you know, how come that, you know, that person that, you know, has largely the same beliefs as you prefers this approach than you do. And, and yeah, it's that kind of thing. I guess it's a way of unpicking that, that George Terrell thing of, you know, the face of the, the Protestant scholar looking down the, looking down the deep well. It's, you know, it's a way of kind of actually challenging some, you know, that, that tendency for, of, of all, you know, of all of us to, picture Jesus as a kind of better version of ourselves. So if, you know, we can say that there may be better ways to adapt certain films, but lots of film is subjective. And so a Bible film doesn't necessarily have to be historically accurate for it to be a good adaptation. I think that's really helpful. I wonder if you could talk about some of the films in your book that you think were failures, were just massive flops, really bad examples of what a Bible film can be even though they might still be interesting yeah that's quite challenging because i i mean there are there are a few terrible ones but i i tend to approach the subject from a perspective of what can i what can i get out of this film and rather than kind of necessarily trying to like i think i think that thing of you know always kind of having to criticize the kind of films and picking on the bad bits i think with bible films it can be really really easy to pick everything to pieces and and to you know 
and to make it almost kind of a sport of doing it. It's all perhaps the, the easiest genre to do that with. Um, but actually, how how kind of useful is that as a as a longer term approach? And so, um, so I do tend to focus more on the on the good points. I think some of the bad some of the bad. I mean, yeah, one maybe, of the, I mean, maybe maybe not perhaps, maybe. Sorry to interrupt you. Just yeah, maybe no. not bad, but bizarre. Where you watched a film and you went, "Oh, that's that's what <laughs> you know." Yeah. What, what are those types of films? Yeah, I mean, the the one that most springs most obviously to mind is one of the most recent ones. Actually, uh, it's called Assassin Thirty Three A.D. Uh, or or Black Easter. Um, and, I love this film. It's so yeah, great. It's I mean, it's just it's just absolutely bonkers. And it, I mean, it's definitely one of those. You know, so so bad it's good films um, to the extent that it maybe even goes all the way around um, for the benefit of the listeners. Twice at um, least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it's essentially the the plot is it kind of starts off with a couple of scientists who uh, you know get get this job, and they start off thinking it's basically about um, moving from one place to another. I can't transmogrifying is that when you shift matterless. Um, and and then they realise that actually, with a couple more tweaks in about a kind of a week or so, they can having invented that they can turn it into a time machine. So, um, and then at this point, it becomes apparent that the people that have hired them are actually uh, Islamic terrorists, and they come up with this plot to basically send a SWAT team back to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before Jesus is crucified, and uh, and to assassinate him. So that they can disprove Christianity forever. Yeah, and, and that's the just scientists the go back in time. You get the uh, oh yeah, no, no speako el Greco yeah. uh, line. Oh, it's terrible and amazing. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's it's and it's just amazingly it's, terrible. It's uh, <laughs> I mean, it has to be seen to be believed because it's just you know, and <clears throat> and some of the things that you know, and some of the things they kind of pull out of there, um, you know, sort of the way some of the kind of twenty first century characters end up kind of being part of the original stories and. And the kind of, I mean, it's a very, yeah, the, the kind of multiple layers of different, the same story happening multiple times. It's a very novel uh, solution to the synoptic problem, perhaps. But it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, time travel. Yeah, yeah, but it's and it and ultimately it's uh, it's all to kind of like prove this thing that you know, what God really did want to kind of hang on to one of the characters in a kind of lost sheep. It, it just a, just it, it's a bit like someone said, you know, that thing about the. Shepherd leaving ninety nine sheep behind to to save the one isn't isn't quite pushing things far enough. It's not a big big enough piece of uh, hyperbole by Jesus there. Let's let's do this instead. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, that's quite memorable for perhaps all the wrong reasons. I'm so glad we brought up this film. I I just taught a class on on Jesus films um, at Bethel Seminary, and uh, yeah. one of the final weeks I I had this film listed as an option for students to uh, review and engage according to the things that we've been doing for the class, and uh, only one person uh, took it seriously, and they wrote an excellent paper actually on the um, the xenophobia of the film, which yeah. is obvious, which is obviously there at the surface, um, you know, in terms of you know these Islamic terrorists um the explicit islamic islamophobia uh in the film but uh, he was able to draw it out e even in places that i hadn't quite realized you know extending it further into the i into this kind of like you know um 
white nationalist fear of refugees you know like of course refugees are terrorists you know because that's how his origin story begins you know yeah. uh, and so um there's just all these interesting things that you know not only is this film kind of you know garbage uh theologically and cinematically um but even in terms of its explicit racism um yeah. and it's just um Yes, it's a, it's a terrible film, although uh, oddly, I, I do recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's also the other characters, you know, so there's, uh, there's the, the, the scientists are a mix. One is a kind of Jewish, probably, probably um, atheist. And then there's the kind of good Christian girl. And uh, then there's a black scientist and uh, a Latino scientist. And the stereotypes, again, with both the black scientist and the Latino scientist. And what's, uh, you know, both, you know, just all the kind of classic bad stereotypes. And what's so interesting is, or one of the things that's you know, interesting about it is that there, there obviously seems to have been a thought somewhere of trying to kind of make it an inclusive film and trying to kind of broaden the cast, a cast of it. And, it, and actually compared to a lot of biblical films and the main cast and a lot of biblical films, it is, it is a diverse cast and that's way forward. But just just uh, kind of there's just then there's this kind of wrongheadedness in terms of as you say the xenophobia and the um yeah and some of the stereo stereotypical stuff of it so so yeah your um your students on definitely sounds like they're definitely onto something there <laughs> well um in that final week what we were looking at is the location of the filmmakers and mm -hmm. so um that's something i'd love to chat with you about uh further is you know thinking about our location and 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 the questions that we're asking and how those are brought to bear on the way we retell and adapt uh, these biblical stories for film. And uh, one good example of this, I think, is the Noah film by Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's a great example of how the zeitgeist of modern ecological uh, crises uh, is 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 um, you know sort of explored through this biblical tale. Um, uh, could, could you tell us a little bit about um, how, how you how you see that sort of that that notion of uh, the location of the filmmakers sort of playing out in 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 Bible films? Because I think what a lot of people do is they look at Noah and they say, oh, this is ridiculous. This is going back to the question of good equals, you know, biblical. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people do is they just dismiss it because they well, a they don't know a lot of the Second Temple Jewish traditions that the film is drawing upon. Uh, but additionally, they're not attuned to to realize that every bible film does the same sort of thing perhaps less overtly yeah. so but but nevertheless still draws upon the questions uh of its contemporary uh period and and whatever kind of um cultural setting it may uh, uh emerge from could you mm. tell us a little bit more about that dynamic as it plays out in bible films yeah i mean it's you know it's it's almost as old as, as cinema itself really i mean so even within um there's a film i don't talk about this film in the book but there's a film called civilization which basically kind of has jesus on or around the battlefields of world war one it came out in 1917 and so that's a kind of very obvious <laughs> example of of that kind of contemporary thing and then you get uh, the ten commandments the the demille um 1956 one for example is is definitely a kind of cold war rhetoric piece there's you know stacks and stacks of examples there of, of where he just tweaks the narrative slightly but essentially you have kind of moses representing the kind of idea of freedom and 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 the kind of the american the american way of life and liberty um versus this kind of the pharaoh is portrayed as this you know he's portrayed by someone with an eastern european accent uh, accent in your brinner 
and he's got this you know this it's very much this agenda of him being a dictator and his you know his kind of you know politics and, and that that just, just you know there's just lots of little kind of tweets that goes through culminating with kind of heston uh, charlton heston posing as the kind of statue of liberty almost at the end with the, is he kind of declares you know and reads, reading the words from the uh, the liberty bell in, in the is it philadelphia sorry it's my um so so yeah so, so so it's quite a common thing and uh and aronofsky brings it through in in noah i i guess i'm probably um more sympathetic to aronofsky's core message in noah than, than perhaps i am to demille's in the ten commandments but um but i think it's a, i mean it's a really interesting piece of filmmaking because he does bring those those concerns right through but it is so embedded as you say in in all that kind of uh jewish tradition around the noah story and and something that is alien i think to a lot of people because there's the noah story in our culture has become this kind of twee story that kind of goes with nice wooden boats and and you know pairs of animals that you give to kids and and he kind of you know completely rips that out of that notion and looks at it, it as a kind of as, as an act of genocide really and it's really interesting seeing with with aronofsky his next film mother kind of replayed similar themes in terms of the destruction being done to the earth and i think by then it's just the desperate cry that is in the kind of a, the heart of Noah to for kind of saving the environment is probably tipped into despair. I think by the time, a couple of years by the time Mother comes along. But yeah, so certainly it's it, it's kind of a long tradition. It's it's a very kind of common element in many Bible films that they, particularly when you kind of look back at them with the benefit of hindsight, you can kind of see some of the, you know how the issues play out and how they they use the kind of biblical stories to talk about the contemporary world and the worlds they see it and how that's kind of always one of the lenses which which i guess we all look at the bible with um but it's particularly apparent in some of those films when i uh when i first saw the table of contents for your book i was like wait where's mother uh because i it, it, it yeah. feels it, it as you just mentioned it um repeats a lot of the the noah motifs and i sort of regard it as a spiritual sequel to noah in many ways and it's in one way of looking at it it is a bible film uh, and i'm curious maybe if um, you, you might want to speak to your selectivity uh, obviously it makes sense why you didn't include mother uh, it's not overtly a bible film but uh is is there something about you know mother that makes it adjacent to your book oh i think so yeah i mean it's it, you know as you say i mean it, it is a film i've reviewed on my blog i think so it's because it is as you say it's kind of adjacent to that story and it's you know it's clearly a kind of parable around you know drawing on a lot of the uh, the same you know the biblical tradition um and and particularly the kind of the the, the tradition and some of the other bits and pieces as well as as well as a few other things in it but it but yeah, that whole kind of birth and rebirth and and that kind of creation care, as it's sometimes called. But as I say, I think I had to with the book. I had to kind of really, I had to focus on I think what I could bring because there's an you know there's a lot of books that cover something that is vaguely religious or vaguely about faith and, and cinema um, because it's actually a massive massive territory. So you know by the time you you know consider that kind of modern day parables or films that feature a Christian a significant Christian character or draw on the bible in some ways even if it's just as a kind of a prop or a, a verse uh you've got the kind of spiritual cinema type move similar to slow cinema what some people see as as parables or metaphors for key elements of faith and you know all those different elements 
different ways of exploring faith through film. Um, it, you know, that's just such, I mean, it's, you know, Bible films is quite a big topic in itself when you get into it, but that was, it felt like that was such a massive area that I, I think it's difficult for any, any one person to get any kind, you know, to get enough of a handle to be able to, to really bring that together comprehensively. And, and I think I felt, you know, and there's quite a lot of interest in those other subjects and they are, they are very interesting, but I think for me, what was really interesting is the, almost the kind of like the fixedness of it is one of the things that I find quite, quite interesting. So that was why mother felt that it was, yeah, it could easily have been in that book. And I know there's quite a bit of uh, academic writing on it and it is a, it is a fascinating film from that point of view. Part of me feels like I need to see it again. Part of me found it so anxiety inducing the first time I watched it. I'm not sure I can, but um but yeah, I, I really rated it as a film, and I think the, some of the issues it gets it gets into. If you know, if people haven't seen it, then worth thinking about. You know, it's it, it's an area I've been the kind of environment areas, an area that I've been very you know passionate about for pretty much my whole my whole life, really. Um, so so yeah. So another film that I think that does a really great job of. Um, addressing a biblical story in light of some of its uh, contemporary concerns um, is the film Esther by Amos Katai. And I'm, I'm curious to, to chat with you about that. This is without question, my favorite Esther film. The first book that I wrote was on Esther. And what my main concern was, was how a lot of the popular versions of the story in film and and TV and and the, especially the romantic novels um, really just kind of primes us to um, read the Esther story in ways that I think are really foreign to how the text unfolds. And what I love about Amos Gittai is it's just the Hebrew text as far as you know um, what the story is. It's just the Hebrew text, but there is this explicit series of juxtapositions in real in a kind of static way of just sets in contemporary Palestine that juxtapose this ancient story with contemporary violence. And I just absolutely love that. I wonder if you could tell us more about, about that film and about what the director is trying to do. I, re I remember the first time I watched that and uh, particularly the kind of bit right at the end. And it was just, you know, I'd already found it quite an extraordinary film and that really really struck home I won't go too much into that for other people that are watching it but it's um yeah I mean the director I'm skit I had done quite a kind of lot of documentaries prior to that and again around the kind of Arab-Israeli conflict and yeah and so it was kind of in some ways it seemed like a bit of a strange move to then go into a into a biblical film but but certainly that kind of documentary thing persists throughout and one of the things that's really interesting about the film is is the way that it's kind of situated um i mean not this 100 dissimilar to jesus christ superstar but it's this kind of ancient story told kind of as if it's trying to tell it as an ancient story but also constantly reminding you of the modern day and so you can kind of hear traffic i think there's an air, you can hear an airplane go over the head at one point and the buildings are kind of clearly not biblical buildings and trying to be biblical buildings um and i think in fact they had to move locations fairly late on because one of them actually fell you know fell down just before they had to film film in it because they're yeah they're all they're all based in uh in haifa it so it's it's you know it's very interesting because that because the, the whole you know it brings that whole conflict right to the fore right from the start and it really frames a lot of the issues of the religious violence so it kind of it ends with the, the kind of reflection, you know, right at the end, you kind of see the characters who have already broken the fourth wall to a certain extent, 
during the film kind of come completely out of character and talk about their own experiences of the text and of the story and um you know and that again it just kind of brings that contemporary because it is a story that still you know does have effects today and still influences people today and this conflict is obviously going on i mean it was filmed in 86 and in some ways you know, i don't know to what extent things have changed since then not not substantively i would i, I would say and so yeah so it's it, it it's just you know it's just a really interesting take of the story because it doesn't buy in as you say it doesn't buy into that romantic notion um which i always think is a bit i always think that's a bit of a weird romantic notion i mean i guess you'll be familiar with one night with the king um which came out when i was first reviewing my, my blog but it, it it the kind of gist of that is is a kind of you know Xerxes is my boyfriend kind of thing and she's all kind of excited about this thing rather than and and what we I mean what we still haven't seen with an Esther film that I would like to see is a kind of more female perspective on it where it you know and it kind of sees it as a as an example of I was going to say statutory rape but that's not, that's Se- not the sex right word. trafficking but, um, yeah but yeah, yeah the kind of you know the sex trafficking and and kind of statutory enforced yeah, lacking the vocabulary there, but but you know, I mean, that, that the idea that you know Esther didn't really have much say in the situation she found herself in, and the kind of story tries to to rally, you know, to rally round and her trying to make the best of that situation and how it's used, but it's it's yeah, the idea of her being there and you know being shoved, you know, taken from her home and shoved in the harem and and all that kind of stuff is. It's pretty dark mm. um, and, and grim, really, and it's it's kind of it. It seems odd to me that we have so many films that kind of romanticize that story and it being about falling in love with the king. Totally, and you know, uh, I, most of these films and, and cartoons, even like Veggie Tales, yeah. they uh, oh, yeah. they they sorry, Phil Vischer, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they try really hard to downplay the 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 sexual uh, darkness and the and the mm. violence as well. Um, I think one of the um, one of the worst examples of this is this uh, musical um, about the story of Esther. Uh, it's an LDS LDS film, and um, it tells the story in a real truncated way. And then um, when the film ends during the credits, it says, if you'd like to know more about the story of Esther, read Esther 2 to 7 in your Bible, like explicitly cutting out the sexual stuff and, yeah. the, vi- and the violence um, at the end, uh, which is just yeah amazing yeah um and it's interesting you kind of say yeah the kind of esther two to seven because it kind of begs the question you know what happens beyond that and that's where this film you know this film goes beyond that in terms of the storytelling and and talks about mordecai and the death of haman and the the kind of subsequent death that the that the um uh, the jewish characters then inflict on some of their neighbors and and this is kind of part of the the heart of the story i suppose and and i think this is one of these examples of things that you can so easily miss because of the way the story has been presented to you uh and the way you and and so that even though you may have kind of read those bits because they're not painted as large as life you know the esther story is a story that's taught in sunday schools to people uh as you say veggie tales and it um you know and the fact that the kind of the victim and uh, oppress oppressor roles reverse at the end of the story is you know is is something that's, that people miss and people are kind of you know gob, almost kind of gobsmacked that that's there and they've never thought about that story in that way because of because of the way it's presented and that's the thing what's so powerful about 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 uh, Gittai's Esther that it, it it kind of gets to that and it it not only sees that as a problem in its own time but it also then draws on that and says 
this cycle of, of kind of violence and retribution for violence and you know violently getting revenge for how you've been violent to us is is still what's going on and still the, the thing that yeah. is causing causing issues today yeah and i mean <clears throat> it's only a few years after this that you have the terrorist attack uh, 1993 terrorist attack on the cave of the patriarchs during mm. Purim uh, which is the same holiday that Esther yeah. celebrates and so you you even have examples shortly after this film is being made of this precise text is being used um, by radicals to perpetuate violence mm. um, against people who already feel like uh, they are being oppressed and yeah. uh, that they are living under you know, what they would call apartheid. And um, you can still visit Palestine today and see the effects of that. So speaking of films that, uh, you know, most people haven't seen, do you, uh, Matt, have a a film that you feel is underappreciated, a diamond in the rough, a, a film that you don't think very many people have heard of or seen and you think that they should? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's quite a few, quite a few of those. I'll, I'll, I'll limit myself to just two, I think, um, unless I get inspired partway through. The, the, I'll do a serious one and a comedy one. Uh, there's a night. There was a 1969 BBC film play called Son of Man uh, that was scripted by Dennis Potter, and um, people might know it. Philip Yancey talks about it a little bit in the uh, the Jesus I Never Know I Never Knew, and it's been discussed in in some of the Jesus and film books as well. Um, and it presents it just presents a very different version of Jesus. The the delivery in it is just. It, I think almost the first time it was a bit shocking, but also some watching it again and again, the, de- the delivery of the Sermon on the Mount is just makes the kind of hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's um, it's unfortunately really difficult to get hold of. Um, in fact, I'm, the two I'm going to talk about are both difficult to get hold of. So that's <laughs> probably just going to infuriate people rather than, rather than help. But, um, no, that, but that, that adds is, to the appeal. It's yeah, an exclusive. Yeah, but, uh... But but uh, but that one is just good on on a whole number of levels. The other one that I think is under underappreciated and difficult to get hold of, it's a comedy film called The Real Old Testament. And I think uh, I mean now it, it's based on the kind of old MTV show the, the Real World, and it's kind of like doing the Real World only with all the kind of Genesis characters. And it's just a really interesting. I mean, it, it, you know, at times it is just you know really funny. But it also is doing that thing of, I mean, we've talked about, we talked about earlier about how some filmmakers try and bring the stories of the Bible into the modern day and, and, and make that thing of trying to make them seem like they're just, they're the, the people in the Bible are just like us and they have the same concerns as us. And you get a lot of those kind of paralleling contemporary issues in biblical films. And this film almost goes to the other extreme. It puts these ancient characters into a, very very modern context and kind of strips away that thing in a way that just kind of shows again puts fresh light on the stories i mean it's not a it's not a respectful film um it's not you know it's not it's not written from a christian perspective uh at all or a jewish perspective or a perspective of faith but there's a lot of jokes but it's basically it is those stories being worked out through a kind of comic comic sensibility and, it, and there's a kind of there's a respect to kind of know and get to know the text before. I mean, I think basically what they did was they kind of were, were reading the text and then they would improvise some of the some of the scenes around it. And, and it's just very interesting because again, you know, there is this gap between us and the past. And we often try and minimize that and imagine that, you know, these people were just like us only living 3,000 years ago. But but you know, in fact, in fact they weren't and they were they were very different. 
so yeah so those are, are two that um that come immediately to mind um i'm tempted to, one that's probably a bit more easy to see that's not very well watched or appreciated is the miracle maker it's uh it's it's one that i think um doesn't get enough attention i think partly because it's you know people think oh, it's an animation it's a kid's film it's it it works for kids but it's also uh, enough to affect <laughs> affect adults as well i think and you know there's just an awful lot that, you know it's good historically it's good in terms of storytelling it's good because it's not three and a half hours long like some of them are it's you know it's uh and it, and it is quite a moving a moving version of the story still has its problems they all do but one of my favorite things about film is that is that good film can be beautiful and mm. make you feel things that you didn't mean to feel and didn't intend to feel and mm. weren't planning on feeling and you end up having kind of this moment uh, and good cinema can do that. And I wondered if when watching any of these Bible films or doing your research or, you know, was there a particular scene or a particular film that you had something akin to a, a religious uh, experience, akin to some kind of deep emotional response that you uh, felt like that really captures the essence of what it means to make a Bible film? Yeah, I think... I mean, nothing kind of Damascus roadie, um, <laughs> I, uh, but I think lot, you know, lots of times, I think there's elements that do, I mean, affect you. And I think, I mean, going right back, I suppose, to probably watching Jesus of Nazareth when I was 10-ish um, and the kind of, you know, the emotional connection with, with some of those stories and some of the, some of the more, the other more recent ones as well. Yeah. That, that, you know, that can, you know, some, some of them can, can be, you know, deeply affecting because it is a i guess you know it is a reflection on that story and on, on um that has had such a profound impact on our on you know on our world and i and actually i mean and to give an, another example of one from uh, from the hebrew bible i think i mentioned earlier the french the, the kind of the exodus the french 1910 film i remember being really i think caught caught short by that one because it was a kind of it was a day of a whole bunch of these kind of older older films and that one just kind of you know caught up on me unawares really just in terms of the way it gave that perspective from the other side of the equation of uh, you know what it what it would have been like for um you know one of the one of the egyptian people who who wasn't you know in the hierarchy didn't have anything to do with pharaoh's policy and was still losing their their eldest son, um, and that and that element. So, so yeah, I've, you know, different things get me in, in different in different ways at different times, really. Um, and yeah, and that certainly, I think, is one of the things that that defines a good a good Bible film is that it makes you think or feel differently about the story, or about the stories, or about yourself, or about your your life, or about your world. <laughs> Just to narrow it down. But yeah, I think it's that it's that capacity to to move you whether emotionally or mentally and to and to think of you know see the world in a bigger way than you or to experience the world in a bigger way than you did beforehand well speaking of uh Zifarelli's Jesus of Nazareth um as we kind of uh, bring this conversation to a close thinking about the uh, the series that we've put together and um, where the series is headed from here focusing on mm -hmm. jesus films i wonder um given all of your attention to bible films more broadly where do you see jesus films uh fitting within the sort of legacy of bible films first thing is that they are the most popular story by you know by quite some way and so it, you know it, it's something that is 
going right back to those early silence it was the you know the very first bible films were all passion plays filmed and even through to today and frequently on the edges of new forms being being brought about so we've seen in the last decade we've seen 3d jesus films uh, happening and we've seen uh, the chosen at the moment this the kind of uh, I mean, it's not quite binge binge watching Jesus, but it's you know it's not far off in terms of that model of the much bigger, much longer kind of story arc. So so yeah, they're the most they're the most dominant story. I think they're the story that tends to bring the strongest reactions. So these films of Bible films are frequently being controversial. Um, typically, they've been films that where Jesus is, is featured. So, I mean, we've already we t- talked briefly about Life of Brian, uh, Last Temptation of Christ, another example, uh, Hail Mary, the, the, the Godard film, you know, even even kind of more recent films uh, like that as well, or productions like that have, have tended to be the ones that, have, well, The Passion of Christ being another one that have stirred up strong emotions, because again, it has a very significant role um role in our in our culture beyond you know so yeah they really are the, the i guess kind of the apex in some ways of all those different that sounds a bit supersessionist doesn't it but um but the, but but in terms of like where the the various elements quite often tend to kind of come and congregate then it it you know or, or kind of perhaps just that emotions run highest or, or or kind of the stakes are highest around around that particular group of films yeah, which doesn't seem to put people off making them because they're being made still at a tremendous rate. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us for this lovely conversation about film in general, Bible films uh, within that, and and uh, helping to set up this uh, conversation that we want to have on Jesus films in the weeks to come. So thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been great to uh, great to speak to you and your listeners. So thank you, uh, thank you very much for inviting me on. 